0: How's
1: everyone?
0: Good morning. How's everyone? Good. All right, let's go. Uh, if you have a Bible, let's go to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to need a little bit more energy than that for this morning. Um, hoping some of you are excited to be in worship and excited to open up the scriptures uh, and do a little digging with me. My name is Mike Skinner. I'm the lead pastor at the church. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're glad that you are here and have joined us for worship. Um, we're in the middle of a series right now called Ghost Protocol. Where we are talking about the Holy Spirit, and so we've been walking through that and we'll continue to look at um, the importance and the role and the experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians. So we'll be in Galatians 5 this morning in your ESV Bibles. If you have one of those black hardbacks, that would be page 975, um, Galatians chapter 5. You'll notice I've got the whiteboard out here um, this morning. School is just around the corner for me, okay? And so I've kind of got to get back into the groove. Alright, so we'll we'll practice a little bit with the whiteboard and see how it goes. You'll learn what some of my students have learned firsthand, which is, I have horrible handwriting, okay, the whiteboard's illegible, but it makes me feel better. Um, so we'll, we'll run that way. Um, one of the most confused times I think I've ever been in my life was a layover that I got stuck in on my way to Kenya. So a few years ago, I was traveling to Kenya um, to teach at a school over there for a couple of weeks, and I had a layover in Amsterdam, and I got off, and you should know this was the first time that I ever flown by myself. Um, I would not recommend flying internationally by yourself for the first time. Take a couple practice trips, okay? Just to Dallas, to Austin. Um, and so we had this layover in Amsterdam, and it was like a two- or three-hour layover. And I had actually wanted to leave the hotel and go explore, which was a horrible idea. It was a good thing I didn't. Um, but I stayed in the hotel, but got horribly lost, right? Because, surprise, all of the signs were in whatever they speak in Amsterdam. I don't know, but uh, Dutch? It wasn't English. I can tell you that much. And I was lost, and I looked to my right, and I looked to my left, and to ask for help. And I realized these people don't speak English, and I had this very kind of lonely, sinking feeling that I was all by myself in the middle of this huge airport, um, across the world, with no <laughs> phone to call anybody. Um, I tried to get uh, so the money I had. I had some American money, and then I had some Kenyan money. I had no Amsterdam money, so I couldn't use the phones there. I, I was trying to call home. I, I mean, it was a tough situation for me, and I realized. In that moment, one, how many signs there are in the world. I was overwhelmed by how many signs were in this airport, and I think we kind of take it for granted. If you look around, there's just signs everywhere for us. And then two, how helpful they are, right? It's not until they're in another language that you, you forget how much of our lives depends on signs and, and being able to follow them and read them and understand them. Um, we take it for granted sometimes, signs are an important part of our life. Sometimes signs can be confusing. Uh, another trip we took, some of you will remember this, in 09 we went to El Salvador with living water uh, to build a well over there. And on our way back, we were in this tiny little airport in El Salvador waiting for our plane. Um, and, and so we're at the gate, we're sitting there, and the plane was supposed to leave at 2.30. It was departure time. And we're sitting there, there's nothing outside. I mean, there's like two gates to this airport. It's tiny, there's nothing outside. And the, the departure sign above the gate says, leaving at 2.30, and then underneath it, a tempo. Thank you, high school Spanish. I know what that means on time. And so we get there about 30 minutes beforehand and we're like, all right, we'll be good. But as it creeps towards 2.30, no plane shows up. And it's 2.15. Yet the sign stays optimistic.
1: <laughs>
0: A tempo. <laughs> like, well, we're not so sure about that sign, but we'll see. comes around, and there's still no plane, and the sign is still saying A Tiempo. At this point, we're wondering if the sign is broken, if anyone's even working these things, but while we're talking, we look up, and we realize the time has changed from 2.30 to 3.30. A Tiempo,
1: on time, (laughs) without, that's not how it works,
0: but okay, and so we waited and waited and waited around 3.15, still no plane outside the window, and yet, what does the sign say? A tempo, we are on time. And we thought you are not on time, but I like the way you think over here. Okay, I, I've kind of adopted that as my own kind of personal policy. You probably can tell if you go to FC Cubed, right? This is how we start service. Like I thought, service started at 10:45, but it's like 10:50. No, we're on time. It's a tempo, right? We just pushed back the time that we wanted to start, and now we're still on time. You never run behind in life. Oh. Signs are important. Signs can be misleading. Uh, are confusing, um, but, but they're important because they, they tell us where we are, they tell us where we're going, okay, if we're going in a direction, the right direction, the wrong direction, and they tell us what to do, like how to correct ourselves if we're going in a wrong direction. What Paul's going to give us here in Galatians 5 is, is, is kind of a, a group of signs that are going to be helpful for you and I as we navigate the Christian life. In particular, as we try to walk in the Spirit and live in the Spirit and be transformed by the Spirit. And he's going to give us this group of signs that I think is going to make it kind of crystal clear where we are, where we're going, and then maybe some adjustments that need to be made in our lives. So, if you'll read with me, we'll pick up in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other. They're at war here, the spirit versus the flesh, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And here he gives us a list of the works of the flesh. uh, Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like those. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. A pretty intense warning here by Paul. But then he says in verse 22, a very famous passage of Scripture, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, I don't know if you grew up in Sunday school or you went to a Christian summer camp um, during the the summer break, but do you know the uh, Fruit of the Spirit song? Anybody in here? Fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. Just me all by myself? Okay. (laughs) We'll change it. Yeah. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Oh, that's actually the only way I've ever remembered the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I begged Chris Henderson to play that during worship, and he refused. So there looks like a pay cut coming in January. It's good that Matthew's not here. They don't actually let me near the budget, okay? I'm 26, so I'm not, I'm not invited to those meetings. So you have these two lists here, right? The works of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit. They're at war with each other, the spirit and the flesh. I think actually flesh here should be capitalized for you. I think it's in opposition to the spirit. It's personified here as as this kind of evil power that wants to keep um, God's creation from being redeemed and being reconciled. But let me point out a couple things to you. Um, There's two big commands, all right, in this passage. Look at verse 16 with me. Paul says this, I say to you, walk by the Spirit. Here's the imperative, walk by the Spirit. We've seen this in Ephesians 5 last week. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. To be a Christian means in some capacity that we are listening to and and receiving guidance from and responding to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. He says, walk by the Spirit, live your life by the Spirit. There's a promise attached to that. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, if you skip down, there's another command in verse 25. Paul says this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. This is really interesting, um, because it seems that you can live by the Spirit, but not be walking in the Spirit. And actually, if we were to do some kind of closer reading here, um, I think your ESV Bible does you a disservice, okay? It translates um, both these verbs in, in verse Uh, 16 here and in verse 25 as walk but there are two different words in the Greek okay so the first one is let us walk it's kind of the generic word for walking let us walk in the spirit let our lifestyle be a lifestyle in the spirit but when Paul says if you live by the spirit also walk by the spirit the word here is actually like a military word it means to keep in step with like there's rows or there's lines and you need to be following along it's like a discipline word In fact, some translations will bear this out for you a little bit better than the ESV does here. They'll give you a different word here for this. Paul intensifies it. He says, if you want to live by the Spirit, not only do you need to to, to be receiving the the promptings and the guidance and the voice of the Spirit, but you need to make a conscious choice, a conscious reasoned decision to keep in step with the Spirit. There's two commands here. This is Paul's instructions for the Galatians and for you and I about how we're to live the Christian life. I want you to also notice, though, that he gives um, these two lists. Right, the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. And both of these lists function as signs. They're signposts. Okay? They're evidence that either the flesh is at work, and the flesh is controlling your community or you as an individual, or that the spirit is at work, and that the spirit is guiding you as a community or the spirit is guiding you as an individual. So you have the works of the flesh. Um, these are the signs if you're in the flesh. You have the works of the spirit, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faith, and self control. These are the evidence. This is the result. This is the proof that, that the Spirit has been working in and through your life. Um, notice this about the fruit of the Spirit. How many of them could you apply to Jesus? All of them. The, the fruit of the Spirit are Christological, or Christiform, cruciform. They're, they're Jesus centered here. And this gets us to one of the main goals of the Spirit. One of His main roles is to transform us into Christ's image. One of the Spirit's jobs is to make us look more and more and more and more like Christ. If you were to look at the Gospels and go through Jesus' life, you'd be able to clearly put all of these adjectives on Jesus. Jesus is loving. Jesus has peace. Jesus has joy. Jesus is forgiving. Jesus is gentle. Jesus has self-control. What the Spirit does when He creates those characteristics in us is he's shaping us into the image of the Son, of Jesus. We're becoming more and more Christ-like. We've laid out over the past couple of weeks three different roles of the Holy Spirit to kind of simplify things. One of the things the Spirit does is he brings God close to us. He brings God's presence and power close to us so that we feel loved. We cry out, Abba, Father. We realize we're sons and daughters. Um, another thing the Spirit does, what we're seeing here in Galatians 5, is he transforms us. It's the Spirit's job to take us from an old creature stuck in the works of the flesh and stuck in sin and addiction and mire and muck and despair and to transform us into one who looks and talks and acts like the Son. The Spirit is um, the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit is the one who transforms us so that our lives look more and more like Christ's life. Now to understand the importance of these signs, okay, these signposts for works of the flesh and works of the spirit, I want to back up a page, okay, back up a step and give you kind of a larger background of what Paul is doing in the book of Galatians. So flip with me to Galatians chapter 1. I think if I can paint you this picture, um, the fruit of the spirit and the works of the flesh will will kind of make more sense to you. In Galatians 1, we'll pick up in verse 3. Um, Oftentimes at the beginning of these letters, Paul will say something um, real quick, and we kind of skip it and miss it sometimes. But usually these phrases are are kind of what's grounding the whole letter. They're like what everybody knows. It's duh, it's obvious. Um, Galatians 1, we'll pick it up in verse 3. Paul says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins... Okay, so we're all on board here. Jesus came from the Father, gave himself for our sins. Now, normally, I think if we were going to finish that sentence, we would say to forgive us. That's not what Paul says Jesus came to do. He says he gave himself for our sins to deliver us, to free us. We were captives, now we're freed from what he calls the present evil age. According to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, when Paul says the present evil age and that Jesus has snatched us, delivered us, freed us out of the grips and captivity of the present evil age, he's drawing on this Jewish belief. And here's where we get to have some whiteboard fun, okay? The Jews believed that history was linear, that it had a goal, that it was going somewhere, okay? It was created and it was heading somewhere. It's not cyclo, uh, cyclical, okay? It doesn't happen over and over and over again. There's a linear progression in history. And they believed that they were in what they called the present evil age. And there were certain signs for how they knew that they were in the present evil age. Okay? One of the signs, one of the most clear signs, that, that if you experienced this or saw this around you, you can know without a shadow of a doubt you were in the present evil age, is if you see or experience death. Death is not a part of God's original creation. It's not part of God's good plan. Death is a result of evil coming and capturing God's good creation. The present evil age is an age of death. If you see sin or sickness, disobedience, lack of health, sickness or pain... These are all signs that you're in the present evil age. Again, much like you might look to science to see if you're in this city or this city, the Jewish people thought, we know where we are. We're in a time where God's good creation has been put in captivity by evil, the present evil age. But the Jews believed that one day God would redeem the world. You could think of it almost in terms of an invasion. God was going to show up powerfully, take back what was his. It's very apocalyptic, it's very warrior type image. The day of the Lord, or the kingdom of God. And what would happen when God showed up was he was going to get rid of all of this bad stuff, all of this negative stuff. And then you'd have what some called the age to come, or you could call the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God would also have signs, signs that are opposite of the signs of the present evil age. One of the biggest signs for the kingdom of God was resurrection. If you see dead people start coming from the ground, this is a sign that there's kingdom work happening, that God is invading to take back his creation, resurrection, life, and healing. If you see people healed, if you see sicknesses taken away, this is a sign that the kingdom has shown up. Jesus says this in the Gospels. If you see um, people obeying, if you see people worshiping, These are all signs. The spirit being poured out. This is a sign of the kingdom of God. We looked at the promise two weeks ago. In that day, I'll pour my spirit out on my people. So, Christians are in a unique situation here. Because a Jewish person thought all of this would happen in one moment. Which is why Jewish people to this day will say we're kind of misunderstood the point, right? Jesus couldn't have been the Messiah because there's still death. They say, look at the the promise. This was for death to go away. For sin to go away. There'll be a new earth, new heaven. The lion laying down with the lamb. I don't see a lion with the lamb, right? Christians, though, have discovered, what Paul discovers here is what we thought would happen in one swift moment actually is going to take part in two stages. And what happens is we come to understand there's an overlap of the ages. Where the present evil age continues on even though the kingdom of God has started in the middle of it. With Jesus and his death and his resurrection. The kingdom of God starts. Right now, though, we are here. And there's two ages existing at one time. Right? And you can, you can prove this, right? By asking the questions. Have you been to a funeral in the last two years? Yes. That means the present evil age is still up and running. But has the spirit been poured out? Have we seen the Messiah raised from the dead? Yes. That means the kingdom's up and running. It means for this period of time, there's this overlap of the ages. You might think of it like, uh, let's use Batman as an example, okay? You've got the city of of Gotham and Batman, and you've got kind of the rich um, living the rich life in in Gotham, and then the poor living the poor life. It's one place, but there's kind of two tracks of living happening at the same time. And, and, And maybe at one point, one person in the poor track of living will go and become wealthy, or someone in the wealthy track of living will go and become poor, or maybe the whole city will become wealthy, or the whole city will become poor, Um, But For the time being, there are these two tracks of existence up and running. This is what the scriptures are speaking about. But as Christians, Paul says in Galatians 1, you and I were on this, we've been snatched out. We've been transferred over, in Colossians, he'll say, to the kingdom of his son. Um, So, we are freed. We are delivered. But we live in kind of a confusing time. We live in a time where we can forget that the kingdom is here. Because there's still so much evidence of the present evil age. And we live in a time where there are competing loyalties, where the Spirit wants to create this new creation in and with us, but there's this thing called the flesh. There are these dark powers that still want you and I to be on their team. And this is where I think the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit come in. And flip back to Galatians chapter 5. Just as you have signs for which age you're living in or you're experiencing, So I think you have signs for which track you're currently on. You can think of the ages as, one of my favorite ways to think of it as like a train, right? Um, so this present evil age is a train. Here's what we know about the present evil age, though. It's going to stop dramatically one day. Like it's headed toward a brick wall, right? You want off that train. We believe when Christ comes back, this will be done, and all we'll have is the kingdom of God for all eternity, there won't be any more death. There won't be any more sickness. There'll just be life and resurrection and spirit and obedience and worship. You want off this train and on the train that will last forever. And Paul gives you here um, clues, signs. Okay? He says, here's how you can know without a shadow of a doubt which train you're on. Are you on the train that's, that's headed towards a very, very bad ending? Or are you on a train that's headed toward life and eternity? This is how these lists work. The train that's headed toward the brick wall... It's characterized by people who idolize things, who place things above God, who are sorcerers, who have enmity, who have strife, who are jealous, who have fits of anger, who have rivals, who take part in dissensions and cause divisions, who are envious, who get drunk, who have orgies, things like these. This is not an exhaustive list. This is the sign. This is how you know where you are. If you can look at that list and find yourself in there, there's a good chance that that maybe you haven't been delivered from the present evil age. And Paul gives a very strict warning here, right? He says, I I warned you as I do, uh, as I told you before, people like this aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. This is not because God just hates you, right? And not because you know we just don't want you to have fun as the church, as God. It's because this is just the natural ending. There's no other way for you to, to keep going. If you participate in this kind of lifestyle, this kind of lifestyle is a fading lifestyle. It's one that will be done away with when Christ returns. It's like the C.S. Lewis quote, who says, God can't, it, doesn't refuse to give you joy outside of himself, it just doesn't happen to be there. You can't find life on this train. It's stopping. Paul says, I warned you as I warned you before, you won't inherit the kingdom if, if this is in your life. These are signs that you're on the wrong track. But there are, oppositely, signs that you're on the other track, the fruit of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. If these things are present in your life, these are our signposts, these are flashing lights saying that you're on the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps this morning you could ask yourself to, to look through these two lists and say, where maybe would I fit in on these two lists? Would I find myself more. And more being characterized and described, do I fit into this list of the works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? Which type of person am I more like? Where am I headed? Where am I right now? These are how these signs are working for us. I would even say that if you're a brave person or you want maybe a more honest answer, to ask somebody else. We're really good at lying to ourselves. I am really get a line to myself do you know I can dunk a basketball Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can't that was so stupid (laughs) alright maybe find someone you know who knows you really well who you've given permission to to be honest and say hey where do you see me on these descriptions where could you pin my name and my actions um, would you I mean really you're saying I'm, I'm a pretty jealous person you see that a lot in me and I'm envious and I cause dissensions and that would be a, a kind of a warning sign, a bad sign where someone might be able to speak truth in your life and say I see peace and patience and kindness and love and that would be a, a good sign Paul's giving these signs. Here's how you know where you are. Here's how you know where you're going. And here's how you know if you need to get off. If you need to jump, jump ship. If you need to jump train here. Now, be very careful here because the fruit of the spirits are not a the fruit of the spirit is not a to-do list. Amen. Paul's not saying do this. Be loving. Be patient. Be peace. Um, these are things the spirit does. Yes. These are results of the spirit's action and movement in you. Mm-hmm. You do have a responsibility you do have some action items to take, but it's not to produce these fruit in you. These fruit are are, are supernatural fruit, Mm -hmm. right? These are things that you can't do on your own. If it was as simple as doing it on your own, then the law would work.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Paul says, though, the law can't combat the flesh. The antidote to the flesh is not the law, it's the battle of the spirit. It's the spirit inside of you, transforming you from the inside out into Christ's image. And our job, our role as the church um, is to walk with the spirit, keep in step with the spirit and as we keep in step with the spirit we'll find these fruit created in our lives Um, it's not something that we manufacture but you've got to be careful also it's also not something that happens on accident you don't accidentally wake up one day and find yourself loving and patient and peaceful and joyful like you're not going to trip into Christ likeness does that make sense There's got to be growth. I think the scriptures say if if you're really a Christian, there will be growth. And that that growth is intentional. That growth happens. It's a fruit metaphor, planting. You have to cultivate. You have to take care of. You have to look after. (laughs) Following the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit is all about positioning yourself in the right areas and at the right times for the Spirit to work in and through you, for Him to empower you and to transform you. It doesn't happen by accident. Um, you've got to keep in step with the Spirit. Again, I think this means being receptive to the Spirit, learning how to hear His voice and hear His guiding and hear His prompting. Um, we've talked about before. There are um, various places where you can bet that the Spirit works. Spirits like the wind; you don't get to control Him, but 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 like the wind, you can kind of learn patterns, you can kind of see effects, and you can kind of, um, with the right strategy, get in the right places to be filled up, to be pushed, to be guided. You can become more sensitive to the Spirit's promptings. You can become desensitive to the Spirit's promptings. Um, So I'll give you an example of how this works. You don't create the fruit, but you do have a responsibility to keep in step with the Spirit who then creates the fruit in your life. An example from my life. I teach at a high school. Um, One of the things that happens when you teach or when you have a kid or when you send a kid to school is that there are, it's a Christian school, um, private school, there will be these situations where a God-fearing, Jesus-loving, awesome parent has a God-fearing, Jesus-loving, awesome child being taught by an even more God-fearing, more Jesus-loving, awesome teacher, and there's going to be conflict. Maybe the the, the kid doesn't like something the teacher's doing. Maybe the parents don't like the grades the kids are getting. Maybe there's miscommunication. There's conflict. And, and I'm not, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Um, if you know someone in the education system, you probably are. Um, but sometimes these things can get very nasty really fast, right? Um, you don't just see, as a parent, uh, someone who is trying the best to do their job, right, with integrity and all those good things. You see someone who might be, like, keeping your kid from the college that he needs to get into to be successful in their life. And emotions go up high very quickly, um, there's miscommunication all around, um, so that happens, and has happened to me at the school, um, now, you may know about me that I am a fairly socially anxious person, um, Wes knows this um, really well, He's, he, he works with me closely at the school here, um, it might seem odd because I do a lot of public speaking, but public speaking is actually paradoxically very depersonal. I mean, you're not speaking back to me, right? I mean, it's just me up here. You can tell a couple of jokes and tell a story. You can do okay, right? Um, so it doesn't create that much anxiety. But, like, a one-on-one situation creates anxiety in me. And I don't care if people don't like me. Um, like, I, I really don't. You can not like me. But I just don't want to know about it, right? I don't want to – like, if you cannot like me and go over there, then that's fine. I, I mean, I'll go over here. You go over there. We'll never meet. But if you don't like me and we have to talk constantly and we have to, like, try to problem solve, that in me, like, just wrecks me, Right? I mean, my stomach's upset, I can't sleep, my whole thought process is off, I mean, I go berserk, and I have anxiety disorders in my background, so probably more than a normal person would react to these situations. So let's just say, a couple years ago, there was this um, beautiful parent who loved Jesus and was God-fearing, and had a beautiful child who loved Jesus and was God-fearing, and they had an even striking, even more striking, handsome teacher um, who... Loved Jesus and feared God, and, and this conflict arose. And, and this conflict got really heated really fast. And, and this conflict created in me this, this very negative situation in my life where I went maybe a couple of weeks getting less than like three hours of sleep a night and just felt out of it. Just wasn't in my comfort zone. Um, sort of second guessing pretty much everything in my life, right? All of my giftings, all of my callings. Um, was not displaying the fruit of the spirit. I was not acting very loving toward this these people. Um I had definitely had no peace or no joy. Right, I was kind of a walking zombie during this time. Um now a couple of weeks of this going on and a couple of friends um, with their encouragement and then with just kind of a moment of clarity, one night I sat down and I turned off my email. So I couldn't read the nasty emails. And I put away the papers so I couldn't see the work that I had to do and the, the grading I had to do. And I opened up my Bible, and I realized, wow, it's, it's been like a, a week since I've opened up my Bible and just read. I kind of lost, lost track of it. And I read a little bit, and then I sat down to pray, and I had the same realization. Man, it's been a while since I've prayed. And as I read the scriptures, and as I prayed, the Spirit started to speak in me. Spirit started to speak to me. I started to experience God's presence, right? As Christians, we, mm-hmm. we name that the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. And there came of me this realization that I'm a son of God. I'm a co heir with Christ, yeah. right? I'm, I'm loved perfectly. Whether I make mistakes in Scripture's life or whether I'm just persecuted for being perfect, it doesn't matter the situation, it doesn't matter the circumstance.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm loved, I'm taken care of, I'm sealed for all of eternity. And the Spirit's work in that moment, in that time, and then my commitment after that to try to be more attentive, right? To, to get back in my scriptures more, to pray more, to keep my focus on those things more often. Guess what? Led to me being a much more peaceful person that next day.
1: Yeah.
0: At a different perspective. It led to me being able to love those people differently. It led to me being a more joyful person. You see, I didn't create those things. But by keeping in step with the Spirit, by going where He was going, by finding Him, by listening to Him, by following Him, I was able to experience His work in my life. And He transformed me to be more and more Christ-like. Which is the destiny for all of us as Christians. In Romans 8, this is what Paul says. You've been predestined before all of creation. Your journey, your goal, your end product is already set. You can't get out of it. You know what it is? To look like Jesus. Predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Christ. I think sometimes we leave this out of our gospel presentations and, like, surprise people. Because they read through the gospels and they're like, I'm not sure I want to be like that. I want to be powerful and, you know, I don't want to be a servant leader and humble and meek and those kind of things. The scripture say, if you're a Christian, though, despite what road you take to get there, or how bumpy it is or how fast or long it is, all of our destinations are the same. We'll be a son or daughter of God and look just like the son of God. We'll have his attitude, we'll love like he loves, we'll forgive like he forgives, we'll, we'll receive the Father's love like he receives the Father's love. And this is the Spirit's work in us. I think often what will happen when we keep in step with the Spirit is we'll find that it's in the, the work of the Spirit's confirming our identity that these fruits are created. Um, we get off track um, when we, we think we have the spirit of fear, right, or when we start listening to these other lies. But then when we listen to the Spirit and the Spirit confirms in us, spirit's witness with our spirits that we're children of God, then all of a sudden we're able to love and able to have this supernatural peace, and able to be joyful and gentle and self-control. Paul says, walk in the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. One last thing to notice here in this passage, um, there's lots we can talk about, um, but in verse 22 here, um, when Paul begins this, this list of the, the Spirit's fruit, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and then goes on to list a whole bunch of different things. It's interesting because he uses a singular noun here. The fruit, there's one fruit of the Spirit, um, which is intentional on Paul's part, right? He's not just bad at grammar, um, he's doing this to make a point, um, which is that the fruit are symmetrical, or the fruit belong together. Um, you can't have one without the other, if that makes sense. Um, and I think just logically, looking through the list, you can kind of see how this works um, and works stuff out. And here's what I'll say to you, if you really want to like, do deep spiritual diagnosis, If you think you have one without the other, that's probably proof that you have a counterfeit fruit of the Spirit. So I'll play it out like this. Imagine you're looking through this list, and and you're analyzing your own life, and you say, I have peace. I'm a very peaceful person. person." And then as you're going through the list, you you come to patience and say, well, but I'm not very patient. I'm a very, very, very impatient person. Um, this would be a suggestion that, that perhaps the peace that you have is not truly a spiritual capital S peace. Mm. But all the fruit go together. Maybe, in fact, the reason you're at peace is because everything's going right in your life right now. <laughs> your job's good, you're making lots of money, all your relationships are working, you don't have to wait for anything.
1: Yeah.
0: But the moment you have to wait for something and your lack of patience rears its ugly head, where's your peace go?
1: Yeah.
0: Right out the window. All these fruit work together. They grow up together. They're symmetrical. They belong together. They balance each other out. You can't have one without the other. And, and I think when you do see one um, and you see a lack of another one, that's a, a good place to start digging around and go, well, well why do I really have this piece? Or why, why am I able to be this way, but I'm missing this? Um, because the Spirit, if it's truly the Spirit's work in me, all of these should be evident and should be growing. Um, now, it's not overnight, Right, Fruit takes time to grow. The Christian walk is a slow, gradual thing. Um, oftentimes you can't, you can't tell at the time that you're growing. I mean, just like a human being. But what you can do is you can look back over 5 years and 10 years and 15 years and see the growth marks on the wall as you've etched out. The saddest thing, I think, in the church, and, and one of the most unhelpful for our mission in the world, is Christians who are no more Christ-like 25 years after they're converted than they were when they were converted. You should be able, as a Christian, if you're keeping in step with the Spirit, you should be able to look back, and again, maybe not last week, maybe not even a year ago. Growth sometimes is incrementally small and and mysteriously hard to to recognize. But you should, I think, be able to look back five years ago or ten years ago and say, so, yeah, I'm a more loving person than I was 10 years ago. I'm a more patient person than I was 10 years ago. I'm a more peaceful person. I'm a more joyful person. I'm on this trajectory towards Christ likeness. It hasn't been perfect, and it might not be super fast, but I'm heading this direction. There's this consistent um, growth in my life. Um, where I am growing in the Spirit and and becoming more and more like Christ. So this morning, um, I might give you uh, the assignment, kind of the takeaway, um, is is maybe spend some time today and analyze uh, your life, analyze where you're at. Um, Again, if you're brave, maybe have someone else do this with you or for you. Um, What list do you find yourselves on? Where um, do you need to grow? And then again, the the action stuff is not to try to make yourself these kinds of things, but it's to, to keep in step with the Spirit. It's to find those places where the Spirit moves and moves powerfully, where you can receive His prompting and His guidance and His direction. There are some of these places that are universal. The Spirit moves in His community. So being around other believers will help you produce these fruits. I promise you, this is a historical fact, without a shadow of a doubt, If you want the Spirit to move in you, hang out with other believers, worship with them, pray with them, confess your sins to them, live life with them, and these things will happen. The Spirit will work, the Spirit will move. The Spirit works in worship, the Spirit works through the Scriptures, as you read the Scriptures. There are some universal ways, and then there are some individual ways, right? Some ways that the Spirit works for me and speaks to me that perhaps He wouldn't speak to you through those ways, right? Like I mentioned before, reading to me can be a very spiritual moment, it can be this, this moment of clarity where God, like, Reveals himself in this deep, incredible way, and to others of you in this room, I know that would be more like the devil's play, right? I mean, that would be more like hell than than, than <clears throat> spirit working, right? It's an individual kind of process where we find maybe our own niche and our own groove sometimes. Um, Paul's advice though, he says, walk in the Spirit, and if you live in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, and you can know if you're in the Spirit, you can know if you're winning or if you're losing. Are you loving, patient? peaceful, joyful. And so this morning the task, I think, is to analyze our lives, look at the signs, and then to to think through how we might intentionally keep in step with the Spirit. What might you do this week to keep in step with the Spirit? Where might you go? What might you try? How might you be more receptive to the Spirit's promptings and guidings in your life? Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for all of the um, grace that you have given us through your Son. We thank you for the um, promise of uh, redemption, the promise of sanctification and transformation, Father, that we are not stuck in our sin, um, but through your Spirit's supernatural work, you will find ourselves cleansed and we'll find ourselves able to enjoy life in you more fully, Father. Um, we thank you for the work of your Son, and we thank you for the gift of your Spirit. I pray, Father, um, for all of us in this room, that we would grow in the Spirit together and as individuals, that, that we would continue to display more and more of the fruit of your Spirit working in and through us. I pray, Father, that you would open up our eyes to give us clear action steps, give us clear ways that we can keep in step with your Spirit, that we can... Um, not only hear and receive and respond to your Spirit, but, but then follow him in obedience, um, that we might be the kind of people um, who know you as our Father and, and, and know the world around us as our mission field. Um, I pray, Father, that you would fill us up with your Spirit and send us out with your Spirit, um, and that we'd be transformed into Christ's image, where true life and true joy is to be found. And all these things, we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son. Of the Holy Spirit and all God's people this morning said Amen. Amen. Amen.